This episode of Two Scoops is brought to you by... If you liked it, then you should have put a ring on it. Cam. Mr. B. Is it recording? You know it. Let's give the people something new. It's time to serve it up. What's the scoop? Let's go. Serving it up, UK to the States. No tea, no shade, it's all grace. Nothing we can't discuss in this place. Black culture set the stage, please. Two scoops, baby. Two, two, two scoops. Serving it up, the culture. Welcome back to Two Scoops, your favorite podcast about black culture, queer culture, and all the goodies in between them. I am Cam. And I'm Mr. B. Hey. Hey, girl. <laughs> How are you? I'm cool. It's Sunday. I got my gin and tonic. It's a, it's a lemon lemon gin and elderflower presse, to be more <laughs> precise. Because, um, you know, I'm bougie with this <laughs> I love it. I'm also drinking gin. It's with a mint and water watermelon cooler. It's, it's actually really nice. Ooh. Mm. What I get, <laughs> you know that feeling like after you drink like I don't know like a sprite or something refreshing, like... <sighs> very refreshing, darling. Before this, I was sipping on tequila with tonic because we ran out of juice. I usually sip on tequila and apple juice, but you know, bitch has got to improvise. Wait, so you went from dark? Is it a dark tequila kind of tequila? Always, always dark tequila. Yeah, I only fuck with dark tequila. So you went from dark to light. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> Don't judge me, girl. There's no judgment here. Listen, it's a Sunday. Enjoy your dranky drink drink, because I am. I just wish my my mixer, my elderflower presse, didn't go as flat as it went. So, like, it just went flat really fast. And I'm like, here I am trying to enjoy my bubbles, enjoy my moment. Mm, that's annoying. And they're gone. And I'm like, girl, what happened? But anyway, it's it's a lovely day. It's lovely to see you. Great to see you, too. Everybody, we're recording remotely as we're still under lockdown here in the UK. But through the powers of Zoom, we can see each other's faces while we have this conversation. Yes. Well, enough Kiki. You know what time it is. It's time for us to get into the scoop of the week. It's scoop of the week. If you've tuned in with us before, you know what it is. If you've just hopped on board, Scoop of the Week highlights some special treats that we want to pass on to you. So you already got to know bits about us as individuals, our upbringing, stuff we like to wear, all that jazz. But we really want to add in a huge factor that makes up both of our lives, and that is marriage. We want to bring the flavor of marriage into the mix. So Mr. B, come on, tell us what you got as your Scoop of the Week. So my Scoop of the Week is very personal. Um, and I'm sure a lot of couples can relate to Scoop of the Week, but it's just something I wanted to bring into the room. From day, me and my husband continue to communicate and check in with each other. And it's probably one of the strongest things we have that really gels our marriage. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it, it, it's such an important foundation to us having a happy and successful marriage communicating on a regular basis when something rubs us up the wrong way or something doesn't feel good or you know if 
those moments where you look at your husband, you're like, oh my God, you know, I just want to kiss your face off. Verbalizing those moments. You know, there's so much power in checking in with each other. Yeah. As a couple over dinner, you know, in the car or just, you know, even if you do it once a week, just, you know, baby, how are you? Where are you at this week? And a genuine one too, not the the one that we kind of just all do. You okay? You all right? Just really getting into that, like, how are you? Exactly. It's interesting that during this lockdown time, I knew so many couples that have split or, you know, have been on the rocks. And it was a point where my husband and I looked at each other like, oh my gosh. And at least in my head and heart thought, is this inevitable that, you know, these seemingly amazing relationships are going to go down the drain because of this pandemic and all of a sudden people are living on top of each other and constantly being with each other. Um, and I think what definitely helped us is that communication. You know, there are rocks in it. <laughs> Everything ain't perfect. But the checking in... Of course, nothing's perfect. Yeah. Which is something I realized that maybe we didn't do as much as I had thought we did in the past, you know, pre-pandemic. That checking in is so important, that communication. And even though, I, for me, I, sometimes I feel that, oh, you know, communication is key. It uh, can be a cliche, but no, like, really? Right. <laughs> it's the T, because that's that's the first line of defense for me. Completely. And, it, and it's not always easy. Honestly, sometimes communicating with your partner, saying the shit that you need to say and should say, it's difficult. It's difficult, but it can offer opportunity to to make you stronger as a team. You know, I often I, I often I often think about relationships and other people other people's marriage i'm not interested in other people's business but <laughs> i'm interested in the i'm interested in the psychology of marriage and you know what makes a healthy and successful yeah. relationship i'm sure we can talk about the relationships that we grew up around but you know you hear stories about couples and they say oh you know i haven't been in love with you for years and i often think about those stories and i'm like but those years that you fell out of love with your partner, what was happening there? And why couldn't you communicate that? You know, where was the breakdown in that in that team? I always want me and my husband to be a team. So how can we keep collaborating, keep keeping that communication going? Prime example, you know, sometimes if I ain't had any in a few days, I'ma communicate that. <laughs> Baby, I need some attention and vice versa. You see, where are you at? Where are you at? Where's, you know, I don't know. I could, I could, I could go off on this, but that's my scoop of the week. <laughs> <laughs> so my scoop of the week comes from what I feel like I'm about to call a gay Bible of sorts. I mentioned this in episode one. It's called The Queen's English by the author Chloe O. Davis. It's the LGBTQIA plus dictionary. And I've been perusing this book ever since I got it some weeks back. And I came across a word that we use quite frequently in our community. 
That word is heteronormativity. And along the lines with, you know, us talking about marriage and stuff, I felt this is definitely a good thing to just check in to actually see what is this? What is this word that we use so much? And what is this notion, idea that we repel so much? So here's the definition according to the Queen's English. Heteronormativity. Noun. A belief that people are given specific gendered roles within a societal binary and that these roles, along with heterosexuality, are automatically assumed as the norm. There's a quote that she has with it. It reads, quote, Even after the legal recognition, marriage equality continues to be a difficult fight. People have to understand that heteronormativity is not actually the norm. Love is love. End quote. I mean, I really could end it there, but <laughs> <laughs> go in. But listen, ever since I was a child, I had my wedding planned out, everything, and it was all in the lens of a heterosexual marriage. Same. Like that. That was the only way. That's what we saw, and so. It wasn't until that term came up and that whole idea that so many of us in the queer community have these heteronormative ideals that really just bleed into our everyday lives when it comes to ourselves, our interaction between um, us and lovers, you know, sexual interests, partners, spouses, whatever. And it's just really just seemed to consume our whole queer culture, which, you know, we really at its heart feel, feel is so different to the status quo to the norm yet somehow it is also this uh, it's also the the foundation or, or a part of the bones of the queer community and I, I just go gosh how do we even step away from heteronormativity yeah i think a lot of us trying to fit into that heteronormative space has to do with survival as well mm. um and fitting in and being seen as mm -hmm. normal you know oh look we can be normal too um we've got the dog and the white picket fence and 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 the babies which is gorgeous gorgeous right. and beautiful and why shouldn't we why shouldn't we want that and why you know why should we be excluded from that narrative um but it's not for every couple i think the beauty of us queers <laughs> is that we can make our own rules and define our own relationships and boundaries and we can go into the whole monogamous and open relationship there are plenty of same-sex couples which have a healthy and strong open relationship works for them why do we need to fit into some heteronormative rules that excluded us in the first exactly. place. Exactly. The difficulty comes in when other queer people, you know, look down upon people who practice love and marriage outside of what we're all used to. I mean, I see it happen so much. Mm. And I, I don't really comment yes. on about it to those people. I just let them speak their piece. But I'm just like, gosh, it's like, okay. <laughs> We got to deal with it within our, within our own community, too. Like, just the, the judgment with people who love in different ways. It's I, I find it sad and I find it frustrating. 
um, that there are a lot of closed minds around topics like that. And not even just talking about open marriage and polygamy. Like there's so many other ways that we, we experience different marriage practices, different love um, languages, different love practices yeah, as well. That's, that's unique to us. It's beautifully put. I often, what I think, you remember talking about the judgment that we receive from some of our queer siblings um, when it comes to how we love and us defining our own rules. I often think, and I don't mean this in the condescending or patronizing way, but I often think, you know, what are you so afraid of? You know, what are you so afraid of? This is, you have a couple here who are happy, stable, and loving in their unique way. And here you are passing judgment on that. What are you so afraid of? You know, um, and and who were you trying to please? Yeah, absolutely. It's, I think it just goes back to what heterosexual relationships are, how they're defined, how we see them in media and just in life overall. Um, there's, you know, and also the relationships around yeah. us, you know, our upbringing. Mm-hmm, absolutely. I think overall, I just say, you know, let people love how they love. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is, uh, this is not me saying that if you want to, if you only believe in monogamy, that you're wrong. This is also me... I'm sorry, I'm going to start that over. Um, I just say, love how you love. What works for you works for you. If you're in a monogamous relationship and that is amazing, amazing. If you are in a polyamorous relationship and that's amazing, amazing. Like, what's important to me is that do y'all love each other? Do you respect each other? And all the other good things that uphold relationships I'm all for it. It ain't my business at the end of the day. It ain't show business at the end of the day. <laughs> Just how we preach about, you know, who we love isn't anybody else's business. This The same for this. How we decide to love that person, those people, is no one else's business. And so I think for us to continue to really step away from this heteronormativity, which we really despise so much, or at least a a lot of us despise so much, we can really continue to look deep within and just respect each other, each other's ways and each other's views in our own community. And it's also okay to not want to be in a relationship. That too. And, you know, not want to settle down, (laughs) you know? So for our toppings of this episode, we're going to dive in to what it is for us two to be married. No, not to each other. We got our own husbands. <laughs> Cam, I let's start from the beginning. Let's start from the very beginning. Because, of course, nothing is plain sailing. Nothing is perfect. I mean, perfect is boring. But we do have healthy and happy and stable marriages touch wood by the grace of God. Okay. Everything's a process. Everything needs work. You know, one of the, something that I heard after we got married, 
which has stuck with me to this day. It's this guy who, and I always tell this story, this guy who divorced his wife and he wrote Things I Wish I Knew um, before I got divorced. And the one that really stuck out to me was every day I should have made that commitment and made that conscious decision to love my wife and to stay in love and to work on it. It just highlights that marriage is a, it, is, is a constant thing you have to work on. And mold and water and nourish. Absolutely. But let's start from the beginning. What were the relationships around you as a young gay black boy? So my my family upbringing is it's complicated, it's deep, it's not for this episode. But <laughs> there is one relationship that really sticks out in my head, and actually this relationship formed who I am. And it's not the relationship between my mother and father. And it is actually the relationship of my two uncles, my gay uncles. Yes, I have gay uncles. And I'm so happy that I actually um, have had the privilege to have gay uncles. So I my, I know my late Uncle Jim, he's now not with us on this earth. And his partner, my Uncle Ron, who is my godfather, who is still with us. They are like my second and third dads. And even though, so growing up, no one explicitly said they're together, or at least not out loud around me. Um, But I just always saw them as Uncle Jim and Uncle Ron. That's it. And so I think when I got older into my teenage years, I realized, oh, this is a gay couple. And then I just moved on with my married life. Um, But then I was able to be open with them about, you know, my own sexuality, et cetera, et cetera. You know, they they exposed me to culture. They exposed me to travel. They exposed me to a lot of things that I have shared and will share with you all on this podcast. And I can actually probably say that they're an inspiration as to who I am as an artist as well. Wow. So that... That relationship between them them two, my gay uncles, was one of the most stable relationships I witnessed as a child, as a teenager, and as a grown-ass man. Without putting you on the spot, if you had to pick something that they taught you about relationships and, 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 and being in a healthy relationship and what that meant, what would it be? This wasn't something that they said out loud. It was something that was just them. They were it. And it was that unconditional love you just, oh, it just poured off of them. They are polar opposites. My uncle Ron is very extroverted, a goofball. When he listens to this, he'll probably agree. He, you know, he is out of this world. <laughs> My Uncle Jim was such a gentle soul, so meek, so humble, and they just loved every bit of each other like that. I mean, it just, they worked. It's gorgeous. It fit, and it just, that just taught me like, oh, this is what it is to, to fully love someone 
for who they are. And yeah, there are moments where like my uncle Ron would do something silly. My uncle Jim would give him the look. But like that was just a part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they they had been together for so long. I mean, ages, <laughs> especially in gay years. But yeah, they they taught me what unconditional love really looked like as far as a romantic couple goes because I hadn't seen it in any other type of relationship, um, at least with close family. You know, this is excluding yeah. excluding cousins and aunties and uncles and stuff like that. Um, but when it came to my closest folk, they were the prototype for a relationship. And I actually, they were the prototype for how I wanted my relationship to, to be and look like. I love that. See, I also have a gay uncle who, not knowingly, but taught me so much and really molded um, and, and really influenced the man that I am today. You know, my love for jazz music and and food. Nice cologne. <laughs> yes, honey. Oh, wait, can I but, just you know, talk about yeah, that one on. second? Yeah, the cologne. Yeah, so we have go this in. big bottle of Chanel Egoiste and it is yes. the bottle that um, my Uncle Jim used. I mean, it's huge and it still has cologne in it. And every time I dab it on, and it's a very special occasion type of cologne too. Every time I dab it on, I'm like, oh, I feel like you're around me. And so just with you bringing up scents and fragrances and how that's connected mm-hmm. to your gay uncle. And that's yeah. the same relationship I have with mine, even though he's still mm-hmm. no longer with us. You know, we don't speak anymore, you know, family stuff for another episode. <laughs> but I still remember falling asleep on his lap and smelling his cologne and the first oh. time, yeah, and you know, he was so fancy. I remember he, the first time he served us new potatoes. I know it sounds so silly, it's a silly memory, but I remember thinking, oh my God, these fancy potatoes. I used to, <laughs> I used to be so excited <laughs> to go to his house because we could have these bougie potatoes. But he taught me everything I knew about jazz music, Ella Fitzgerald and Billie Holiday. But the relationships around me and hearing you talk about your story and your gay uncles and what you learned from that. My granny and granddad you know, I I, I work every day to be an ounce like my grandfather, who mm. doted on my granny. <laughs> and my granddad was stay at home and look after the kids and did all the cooking and the housework while my nan was the breadwinner. And just looking back on that relationship and how tender it was, my granddad was significantly older than my nan. Mm. Um, But yeah, just the tenderness and the protection and (laughs) the way they would irritate the hell out of each other, but still could get enough of each other, you know? <laughs> the rough with the smooth. Mm. Um, the balance. Yeah, yeah. You know, so thinking about the relationships around me, I've definitely modelled myself on the way my grandparents loved each other and the way they were loyal to each other. 
and so honest with one another. Mm-hmm. That loyalty you speak of, I feel, I, I don't want to say it's an old school thing, but even when you just said that loyalty, I felt that that was rooted <laughs> in whatever they have, you know, as, as older people. And I feel the same, that same loyalty that my uncles had with each other. I, it just, it feels different. Like when you talk about loyalty from people that are what two generations above us versus now, what loyalty is now. And I know this may not be a popular opinion. Everyone may not agree. You know, shit happens. Everyone's relationship is different. But we made our vows. And when I made my vows, they, I meant every motherfucking word. Every word. So, loyalty ties into that. You know, you've vowed to spend the rest of your life with someone through sickness and in health. When times are good and when times aren't so good. You know, the rough with the smooth. So we learned so much from our elders and had some good examples of, you know, these loyal strong relationships but y'all when i was trying to insert that into my own life it was disastrous (laughs) (laughs) tell me about it i mean like okay again because like i had gay uncles two men literally in front of my face who i've seen my entire life show me what a a just good wholesome gay relationship was yeah and I guess I thought I could get that by birthright. Well, even though they're not my actual fathers, but like, <laughs> it just didn't happen that way. And so, you know, in past the teenage years and into my 20s, getting out of college and just really, of course, dating and stuff, I wanted to be on a fast track to marriage. Like, I was that much of a romantic. Like, I was already searching for my husband. I had the wedding planned out, everything. And so... I don't actually think I gave my time myself time to date for the sake of it instead of date to find your man. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I, still to this day, I don't know. I mean, obviously it was necessary because it got me to where I am now. But sometimes I think like, did I have enough fun back then? Because I was just steady looking for my husband. Um, But that's just what it was. It was the man that I dated needed to be worthy enough to marry. And how old um, were you when you got married? So I was 27. Did I do the math right? We got married in 2015. Yep, 27. It's a fairly young. And, well, according to a lot of people, fairly young. Mm. Um, I guess if we talk about, you know, in the gay world, absolutely. Yeah. And especially the way everything happened as well was very relatively fast according to the heteronormative ways of life. (laughs) Exactly, here we go again. (laughs) So if we talk about heteronormativity, you know, the the man's always expected to propose first. And I guess that goes straight out of the window with with same-sex couples. Who proposed first? So my husband proposed. So yeah, it was 27 when I ran into the man of my dreams and I thought after 
many, 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 many failed relationships, <laughs> thought that marriage was completely out of the window. I thought I was going to be an old spinster. <laughs> you did it. But, all right, maybe not. But like, I just thought, okay, well, clearly I'm not meant to actually be in a relationship in my 20s. Maybe something meaningful is going to come in my late 30s, early 40s. I like completely resigned myself to that until my husband came along and completely made me go, wait, what? This isn't, this isn't according to my new fantasy. Uh, Like my new fantasy was I was going to just put all that searching for a man to the side. (laughs) And then he came along. And so when we started dating, we realized, oh, there's a huge age gap. So our age gap is 20 years And immediately I thought, oh, no. And I thought, oh, no. Not because I was against dating older, because I dated older most of my dating life. Mm -hmm. Everyone except my first boyfriend was older than me. The oh, no came with what are other people going to think? Yeah. Because this was the biggest age gap I had experienced And I just thought, oh, gosh. But when we started getting to know each other, we realized that that age gap actually was a bit more decreased. (laughs) My husband, I love you when you listen to this. My (laughs) husband is definitely, first of all, he looks younger than what he is. And he acts younger than what he is. And though I also look younger than what I actually am, I'm a bit of an old soul. And so I probably act a bit older than expected or whatever so yeah the age gap when it came to our relationship was much smaller than the physical age gap anyway i put so much pressure on it because i was thinking about what other people would think about the age gap and then the the rate of speed at which we fell in love was literally at first sight at the door to us being engaged was fast Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't what I was used to. It wasn't what I thought happened when it came to true love and true, true marriage. You know, we, it was within the year that we got married. And when did you know that, okay, this is the man I want to spend the rest of my life with? Our first date. It was our very first date. I mean, uh, we spent six hours together. And, you know, you worry about, oh, what am I going to talk to this man about? Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, we've talked on the phone, but that's different. In person, it's just completely different. And you're thinking if the conversation's going to flow, you know. Exactly. Any awkward moments. And again, because of this age gap, right? Is this man going to be looking at me like, oh, this child? Am I going to be looking at him like, oh, this old geese no it was none of that it we we realized that we have so much in common we have so many of the same passions and a lot of those worries that i had went straight out the window yeah um and i knew i knew then and there like this was so different to every other type of relationship i had been in in the past and i knew something good would come of it see we've so many similarities in our stories so i got married when i was 25 And my husband's 21 years older than me. And I guess when we first met, so we, I was living not far from my mum. And we met in a coffee shop 
which was on my route to work. And I was working at Pizza Hut at the time, girl. <laughs> so we agreed to meet up and I was in my Pizza Hut uniform and I arrived into this coffee shop and it was November 2009. And there's this guy in front of me in this really quirky suit and this massive ginger moustache. <laughs> and I thought, this guy is funky and I like it. <laughs> that was my instant thought. And there were many months and years of us hanging out and being in each other's space passionately and intimately. And I still can't get enough of him, you know, and he he still makes me feel like he can't get enough of me. And, you know, we are polar opposites, Cam. How so? He's a white 51-year-old from this small town in Yorkshire, also from humble beginnings, but totally different, you know, complete different upbringing, raised by both parents. You know, he's had privileges that I haven't had. He's motivated and moved by other things that I'm moved and motivated by. And I guess that was something that always kept things interesting for us you know we're constantly learning from each other and there are so many complexities being in an interracial relationship mm-hmm. yeah and we're both very different in nature you know he's a morning person i'm definitely not a morning person he's very much into politics i wasn't that motivated by politics before we met Mm -hmm. I love music. Music moves me. You know, before we met, he wouldn't ha he wouldn't have had music on in the house nonstop, twenty four seven. Oh, yeah. You know, he he he's more of a radio four individual, <laughs> but now he can't get enough of Teddy Pendergrass and Isaac Hayes. Yes, in get into it, get into it. Turn up. But, the okay. Yes, but we are, we're two completely different souls, two, you know, completely different upbringings and experiences. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people will look, in, will look into that and have their own opinion. And who gives a fuck what anyone else has to say? But for us, it, it, it keeps things interesting. We're constantly learning from each other. And yeah. we knew from very early on, that we wanted to spend the rest of our lives with each other. I guess uh, one, of, you know, I guess one of the biggest barriers for both of us was age. You know, here's him looking at me, thinking, you know, with with his own insecurities, thinking, how does he know he's ready? And mm -hmm. you know, what if he meets someone else? And there's me thinking, this older guy. One isn't going to take me seriously. He's going to think I'm a little kid and who doesn't know what he wants. Yeah. But I've always known, like you, Cam, I grew up, I've always been a helpless romantic, always. <laughs> and I navigated the dating scene in exactly the same way. You know, yes, I got married young, but I've had experiences. <laughs> okay. Exactly. And, <laughs> and I always went into 
dates and meeting people. Oh my God, so strong. So strong. I always had marriage on the brain. Or, no, no, not, not even marriage on the brain. I, that, I always had settling down on the brain. Yeah. You know? A hundred percent. Every time I met a guy or went on a date, I couldn't help myself but think about, okay, you know, is this a potential, you know, right. where are we going to be in 10 years time? <laughs> yeah. So... So, you know, can I bring this person home to my mama, to my right? papa, to my exactly. family, to my all friends, to my Judy's? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And for a lot of people, that's too much. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, since we're both with older guys, who proposed first? My husband proposed first in the uh-huh. summer of 2014, no, winter 2014. And we Wait, what married. month? January. We were in Scotland. Oh, okay. And we go to Scotland every year and just take stock in the middle of nowhere and just read and go for walks. And <laughs> this was one of the days where I said, I'm not going to go out. I'm not going to go for a walk. So I just stayed in and just read my book. And we usually stay with about four four other couples, four or five other other couples. And it got to the evening and hubby was like, oh, babe, do you want to come out? Should we go for a walk? I was just like, you know what? Okay, fine. Yeah. And it was started to snow. And we started walking and he was dead silent. <laughs> and thinking back, you know, he's, he's always got something to say, you know? He was very reflective on that walk and I think we may have walked arm in arm and then we walked back when the snow got heavier and outside of our cabin was a bench with two lit up reindeers on either side and he said oh just take a seat on the bench I'm going to take a picture and I sat down on the bench and he went on his knee and took out a ring it all happened so fast he said, would you spend the rest of your life with me? Will you marry me? And instantly, I said, yes. Yeah, we met in 2009. Couldn't get enough of each other. I was spending Christmas with his families. We're taking it in turns from 2012. You know, we knew what it was. Um, And we got back into the cabin. All of our friends were inside. And I said, ah, Simon's proposed. And everyone looked at me and didn't say a word. And I was like, I said, yes. And everyone was like, yay. Oh. <laughs> I'm like, uh, what that mean? Yeah. No, no. <laughs> um, so, yes, yeah, so he proposed first. But I wanted to get in there that summer, but he got in there first. Okay. I was going to ask you. So, like, was that something, your husband, specifically aside, marriage in general, would it have been the case of you expecting the partner to propose or would you have done it? Yeah, definitely not. No, I, I would have done it. Um, mm. See, I'm I, I'm the complete opposite to that. Okay, tell me. In terms of, like, my storybook situation, 
it's always going to be the other guy proposing to me. Okay. And I and think, there we go with this heteronormativity again, like, because I, I don't know, I guess I was more attracted to guys on the masculine end of, of the scale. And so thus me being on the more feminine end of the scale, fitting into that, the man proposes to the woman type of scenario. Mm-hmm. So I always had that in my head. For me, that that's what happened. But I don't think that it happened that way because of that. I don't know. It could be. Could not be. I could be wrong. So when did your husband propose? He proposed four to five months into us dating. He knew. Yeah. But like, okay. Those of you who have listened to previous episodes, um, we talked about our coming out stories. And so I had my ideas of how my coming out story to my dad would be. And it went completely opposite of that. So the proposal goes along the same lines of me having this idea of what my proposal would be like <laughs> and it wasn't but i love how this happened it was such a casual moment there was no ring there was no down on one knee it was us together in the place where we still live eating dinner and we were talking about marriage in general and at this point, you know, I, I was going to go back home to the United States to just, you know, continue to be on the hustle and get another job, hopefully, whatever. Um, my initial intention wasn't to stay in the United Kingdom, but we had formed such a bond, such a love for each other that we both wanted to still be in each other's lives. And, you know, once we got through the very quick conversation of, do we believe in marriage in the first place, <laughs> which was both yes, um, he asked me, would I want to marry him? And would I want to spend the rest of my life with him? And it took me a moment. I was like, oh, wait, this is a proposal. Oh, shit. Oh. <laughs> and I said, yes. And then we continued eating and watching TV. It was so casual. And I love it. It's just because cool. it's so unique. So we're both engaged. And now the date is just counting down to getting married. And I think this was probably the most difficult time because I was in my head, and you probably relate with this, about other people's thoughts. So, like, there was the point of, you know, we both love each other so much that, you know, we want to be with each other, we're engaged, and we're just going to move forward. But then, of course, everybody has opinions, and definitely more so than my husband, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm growing out of this this constant need for approval from others. And, oh, it just proved to be so difficult. One, I'm I'm ending up up and leaving the United States (laughs) to be with someone who a majority of my people have not met, have not interacted with. Don't know from a can of paint because this all happened so fast in heavy air quotes. Um, Then there were the people who kind of disapproved because it happened so fast and that people you know people the people who were stuck in the in the the whole thing of you need to know this person for this amount of months or years before you even think about marriage so then there was that camp who i was like i don't but i don't believe that like this is how i felt so it was hard you went with your heart and then you have the age gap thing exactly i, I went complete with my heart completely with my heart 
but it just proved to be a little bit of a difficult time. Not in my in in our engagement, not between us two, but just with myself. Thinking, oh gosh, was this a mistake? Because so many people. Let me clean that up. Not so many people, because there were a lot of people. Most of my people were so supportive of me. But even the small amount of people who had something to say, it really ate at me. Mm-hmm. Because for so long, I was so, you know, upholding this very heteronormative way of life, having the man, <laughs> you know, being in a relationship along with every other successful thing I could add to the, my own personal roster. I wanted people to look at me and go, yes. You've done it. He got the he got the man. He've done you've done it. And the fact that there were people who were like, oh, but I, it destroyed me. Um, but luckily my husband he is the epitome of I D G A F. Yes. <laughs> Fuck them hoes. And, and I think it has a lot to do with his age as well, uh, and being in a, a position of I am who I am. If you don't like it, you could leave it. And I'm so glad that he was, he had that stability within himself. Because it really helped. It, it helped me. It helped bring myself out of the pits of there are people who don't like what this looks like. And so this must be bad. No. It's the love that counts. Oh, completely. It's always the love that counted. That counts. Mm-hmm. It's always the love that counts. My hubby's the same. He doesn't give a fuck about what anyone thinks or anyone has to say you know he's just genuinely motivated and interested in who you are as a person you know and and and, and what are you doing to contribute so i was so insecure about what other people thought you know we'd be out for dinner we'd be in a restaurant or he'd show his affection and i'd be so in my head about showing my gayness in public, showing my affection for this man who's older than me, who's white in public. I'm being totally candid and honest about where my insecurities lay at the time because I was so concerned about what people thought about us. And so, you know, and constantly looking externally for, for, for people's approval and for people to really understand and get our love. Mm-hmm. You know, really, for, for, I was so keen for people to understand our essence. I was so keen to really show the love that we had for each other, whatever that means. And it took me a long time to get out of my head. One thing I'm thankful for is you know we really took our time and you know i went in bulls deep (laughs) with all the expectations asking him you know what is this what does this mean what are we and from early on and we had it written everywhere on our wedding day easy happy sexy lazy and the four words that define us Ask any one of our friends, you know, our marriage, our relationship at the time, mm, like before we got married. It's easy. It's very easy to be with each other and around each other. It's happy. It's lazy. 
those those times where you just want to snuggle and chill and it's sexy you know and we spent maybe five six years kind of resting in that space with each other and also in between that you know there are periods of 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 us there's periods of us dating other people briefly and having to go through that but we always fell back into each other's arms and you know after that i what anyone else think what anyone else thought did, didn't really matter doesn't matter i still get in my head you know sometimes to this day about other people's perceptions and what they may think I can imagine, especially since what we're going through as a society when it comes to race relations, I can imagine there are a lot of people with a lot of opinions on interracial relationships in general, and especially amongst gay men. If my other half, if his values didn't align with mine, we would never have got married. We would never have shared what we share to this day, period. Mm -hmm. He's always taken the time to educate himself and understand my culture and where I come from you know during the Black Lives Matter last year I think it was probably the first time that he saw the physical effect the physical effect that these things can have on us as black people I think what a lot of white people learned last year was they have a lot of work to do you know they need to start having those conversations with the difficult family members shifting things up in the workplace having the conversations when we aren't in the room and I guess if I didn't see him doing that work then I I honestly feel there may have yeah there would have been there would have been an issue we would have had a lot to talk about but he's doing what he needs to do and I'm I'm glad he is and it just proves that at his core and at your core there's alignment yeah despite what you look like on the outside, despite your upbringing, that, you know, him as a person has the wherewithal to know, love, respect, uplift who you are completely, mm-hmm. even though there are bits of it, of himself, that are polar opposite from that. Totally. And, you know, Cam, there are times where I just want to, you know, there are times where this shit hurts. You know, the stuff that we have to deal with as Black people you know, seeing other black folk killed in front of our eyes, forgotten about. There are times where that shit really fucking hurts. It hurts every time. But I guess what I'm saying is, you know, he will never fully understand what that pain feels like. Um, and he acknowledges that. And, you know, during those times where I am experiencing that, he takes the time. He takes the time to try and understand and he's patient. But yeah, like like everything, everything needs work. It's just, you know, a, a, a part of our dynamic. I only hope that it gets better from here in terms of how you personally feel in this state that we are as society as it pertains to your marriage. I can't imagine the balancing act that you're going through um, 
I I don't know what it is to be in an interracial interracial relationship. I've only dated white men maybe twice in my whole experience and neither of those were good. So I don't know what it feels like. But my uncles, one's white, one's black. And so I know it works. Yeah. And these are men who grew up in times where things were a bit more segregated than they are now. And so I understand where your some trepidation or insecurity may come from because of others' views. But as long as you two go back to love, like, mm-hmm. that's really all that matters. Like... Oh, 100%. And, you know, you, you mentioned this this balancing act and it's more of, it's this acknowledgement of who we both are as individuals, mm-hmm. you know, and a respect that we have for each other. And the way I see it, I fall in love with who I fall in love with. I wouldn't change anything for the world. So I'm glad that we could really share with you all even just a small fraction of what our experiences are as married men. You know, the two of us have similarities and a lot of differences between our marriages. But at the end of the day, love is love is love is love is love. Yeah, speak on it. I'm sure we're going to have a lot of conversations continuing off of this one, especially when it comes to interracial relationships and black on black mm-hmm. love. But for now... We are going to leave you with this. Whoever you want to be with, whoever you want to love, whoever you do love, go ahead and do it, baby. Period. Do your thing, baby. If you have any burning questions, comments, concerns, you know what you can do. You can hit us up via email. Shoot us a message. Contact at twoscoopspodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter at twoscoops underscore pod. And on Instagram at Two Scoops Podcast. And as usual, don't forget to subscribe, follow, share, all that good stuff. And please keep those lovely reviews coming in. We thank you so much for the support and the love we've gotten so so far. Share this with your friends and loved ones. And tune in for another episode of Two Scoops. Two Scoops. Two Scoops.